What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three heavy metal drummers with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my best pals, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how you doing? Another show. I guess this is our second show for 2021, so we're off to a good start. Happy to be here. It is extremely cold and really rainy where I'm at, so just getting all cozy and ready to talk about this movie. One week down in 2021... 51 more to go. I'm excited. So let's get into it. That's some great math there, Keith. I'm glad we can start off the show with some solid subtraction. But anyways, on today's show, we'll be discussing The Sound of Metal. This is the Riz Ahmed-led Amazon original that dropped late last year. This film takes a look at the deaf community through the experience of a heavy metal drummer losing his hearing. Guys, any thoughts before we jump in? Yeah, so I first heard of this movie on Amazon Prime. I did not know what it was about. I just saw the title, Sound of Metal, and then I saw the picture of him playing drums, so I had assumed it was a movie about making music. Um, I had no idea it was going to be a movie about a guy losing his hearing, but um, turns out the movie was really great, and I liked the story. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, obviously we'll break it down. I have a feeling I might be the lowest out of the three, but I still enjoyed it. Just it was a little bit of a slow burn which i enjoy those for the most part but this one i guess i just really felt it but yeah i I remember seeing the trailers like a while ago at this point must have been maybe like mid last year or something i can't remember when it first came out but i was definitely looking forward to it i'm a big riz ahmed fan going back to nightcrawler with jake gyllenhaal so i was excited to see him in another lead performance and you know i'm glad we're actually watching it and we're doing it for the show i think it's gonna be an interesting conversation yeah, I would say that this is one. This is one that's chock full of great individual performances. I think Riz Ahmed especially is going to be getting some Oscar buzz. It's a unique story that sheds some light on the deaf community, which is cool because we don't really see a whole lot of that in media. However, I think I think Keith made a good point. If you're going into this movie expecting a movie about music and, and heavy metal, that's not really what this is. So just I guess have your expectations uh, in the right frame of mind before you start this one. Is what I would say. Yeah, I was going into it hoping to get some music stuff, but. I wasn't disappointed with what we got. Well, let's go ahead and throw up our spoiler warning. Uh, before we before you go any further in this podcast, we are going to be moving forward. No holds barred, talking full spoilers for The Sound of Metal. So if you haven't seen that yet, go ahead and check that out, and then come on back to hear our thoughts. Okay, so let's go ahead and run down our cast and crew here. Uh, this film is written and directed by Darius Martyr. Our sound design is by Nicholas Becker. In our cast, we have Riz Ahmed as Ruben, Olivia Cook as Lou, and Paul Rishi as Joe. With Riz, the only thing I've ever seen him in was Rogue One and Nightcrawler. I think this is definitely a different role from Riz Ahmed that we've seen him do in the past, which is awesome. Yeah, I liked him. Um, I don't. Hmm. I don't think it was a problem with the performance. I guess there was just moments where. I don't. I don't really know. I'd have to. Th- I'd have to think about it more. I thought he was definitely good, but after kind of looking online and seeing what a lot of people are saying, I guess I just maybe didn't feel as strongly about it. I thought he was certainly good. I guess just maybe it was more of a character thing. I'm not sure, but you know, maybe breaking it down will help me figure it out. But I thought the standout performance here was Paul Reese as Joe, who was kind of this recovering alcoholic who runs this deaf community that Riz Ahmed's character Ruben eventually stumbles upon and stays with and he was kind of the standout for me i really am hoping to see some best supporting actor talk for him 
Uh, he was just fantastic. And Olivia Cook was good as well. Um, kind of going to your guys' point of the movie being different than you thought. She's really only in the beginning up until when he gets into the this community. And then basically because of how the story unfolds, she shows up briefly at the end. But yeah, so she was good, just not really in the movie too much. So let's go ahead and run down our critical reception. Uh, this movie comes out in December of 2020. It did have a brief theatrical release in Australia, where it made $10 million at the box office, and it released to a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes to pretty positive critical reviews. Most of the praise for this movie comes around Riz Ahmed's performance. Roger Ebert called it a movie that is, ma- that is a masterful character piece and a movie that thrives on silence. Um, and then the other positive that critics really like is the sound design for this movie. They felt that it effectively puts the audience in Ruben's head, and they like that in- instead of using an intense movie score, silence and muffled sounds dominate the most of the movie. As for some negative criticisms, the main things I could find was that it has a long third act, and then they didn't like the fact that the film penalizes Ruben for simply trying to gain his life back. Yeah, I think that scene was kind of weird. At first it plays out where it's totally fine that he did that, and then it seems like the reason he got kicked out was more because of the lying. Um, But they didn't focus on that. It just kind of happened really quick at the end, like, oh, you're a liar, you can't stay here. Anyway, we'll get to it. I I think I agree for the most part with the the critics on this one. I think they're the positives. I certainly can agree with. I'd also shout out Darius Martyr, who he I I don't know if this is like first time directing, but I guess the thing that I kind of know him from is he was one of the writers on The Place Beyond the Pines, that Derek San France film, who I think Derek San France also has a story credit on this. And did you guys see that? That was the Ryan Gosling, Bradley Cooper, like three-hour yeah. like, generational epic. I love that movie. I'm glad you said three hours because I've started that movie, but I've never finished it. Yeah, it's a weird one. I would recommend just getting past that first act if you if you didn't make it that far. Um, if you did, then you probably just won't like it. But there's, there's a cool twist that I think kind of carries you through the movie. But it was cool seeing him do something else and kind of in the directing role. I thought he did just a fantastic job, and especially with the writing as well. He kind of, I think, did some really interesting things. As for the negatives, I will kind of agree with some of those. The third act is certainly odd um, in some moments, and we'll definitely break that down. And ultimately, I think the final scene is very impactful, but is the rest of the third act? I don't know. We'll talk about it. I think the last 10 minutes of this movie are fantastic. I just think it takes a really long time to get there in the third act. Yeah. My, My only negative that I didn't really hear there, which I guess might be my main one, is that there's a part in the movie where he's really struggling. He's really angry, if, uh, totally understandable. And he's been at the compound for a little bit. I think I think it's like a scene of him at the school, right? And then there's a cut. And then it just shows him being like, it's almost like his life is fixed. Like I, there's a scene where he's like tapping on the slide and the kid is listening to it. And obviously it's this cool scene because it, he's kind of like drumming and it's a way that he can still do that through vibrations. And then it just cuts. And now it's like, he he seems like he's completely 100% adjusted, and it was just so jarring. I thought it was kind of stupid, to be honest. Like, it's like, where did it, what what happened in between? Um, and then as the movie goes on, of course, we find out that, oh, he's not adjusted. Was he fake? It, it's weird. So I guess my problem is there was a lot of, like, dramatic moments that felt hollow because of some weird, like, character choices and time jumps they made. So that was my that was my main issue, but still not a huge one. So this movie is an Amazon original. Um, Amazon Studios did acquire this movie. Matt, you're kind of our studio aficionado. Uh, what can you tell us about this acquisition? Yeah, nothing nothing too interesting like some of the movies we've talked about. It kind of seemed pretty standard. Um, it looks like they weren't going for the traditional 
um, I guess, you know, huge wide release in theaters, which isn't surprising based on, you know, the budget and kind of the smaller scale story. But basically, it just seems like it premiered at TIFF back in 2019, like kind of mid to late 2019, was at some other festivals. It was generating some positive buzz. And after kind of doing some, I guess, bids on it, Amazon Studios picked it up so it could eventually be a prime original and here we are. It was supposed to come out in August of 2020. And then, of course, with COVID and I guess getting the movie wrapped up and trying to find the right release date and they weren't able to go into any theaters. It looks like they kind of decided to push it a bit, ultimately deciding, like Austin said, for a very, very small theatrical run. But obviously most people um, and you guys listening out there are probably going to end up watching it on Prime. Yeah, something else I kind of found weird about Amazon is they obviously want this movie to win some awards. But they're they're launching their Oscars campaign behind Olivia Cook for Best Supporting Actress, not Riz Ahmed or Paul Rishi. Really? I mean, she was good, but she was wasn't in the majority of the movie. Really, she's only in the beginning and then the end. I'm not sure if they're just doing their campaign behind Olivia Cook because Paul Rishi and, and Riz Ahmed are already generating so much praise, and they also want Olivia Cook to be noticed. Maybe but that's what it is. That's the main thing I could find about that too, which was kind of weird. I don't know. Yeah, you might be right, Austin. Maybe it's just one of those things where, you know, they're just. They, they maybe they feel confident at the very least in Riz Ahmed. I don't I don't think you have to do much campaigning for that. It seems like he's kind of a shoe in based on what buzz is going around and all that stuff. So yeah, maybe they're just trying to throw some backing and some money and some some campaigning behind Olivia Cook, which is yeah good for her. That's cool. I'm glad you know they're backing her. She, like like we all said, she's really good in the movie. Not in it a whole lot, but again, that is kind of the whole point of a best supporting performance. So you know we'll see what happens. I I, I hope the movie does well, and if it gets a bunch of awards, that'll only draw more eyes to it. And hopefully, you know, more people will be able to see this movie and hopefully enjoy it like a lot of people clearly are. All right, Keith, can you help me out and give me a plot summary for this movie so we can get into our roundtable discussion? So heavy metal drummer and recovering drug addict Ruben travels the country performing shows with his girlfriend slash bandmate Lou. Ruben starts to lose his hearing and a doctor tells him it will continue to deteriorate and loud noises will make things even worse, which kind of sucks because he he's a drummer for a living. Yeah, Ruben also learns of cochlear implants, which may be able to restore his hearing, but they are very expensive. Ruben takes the news hard, and Lou becomes concerned for his sobriety. Uh, Lou tracks down a deaf community for addicts and convinces Ruben to stay there. She leaves him in the care of Joe, a former alcoholic who lost his hearing in the Vietnam War. Ruben begins to settle into his new life and begins helping with a class of deaf children. Ruben learns that Lou has been experimenting with new music. While living with her father in Belgium, he sells his RV and music equipment and finds enough money to pay for the cochlear implants. Joe's community is built on the foundation that being deaf is not a handicap. So he asks Ruben to leave. Uh, the cochlear implants do not work in the way Ruben has hoped, and he is unable to regain his old life. He flies to Belgium to find Lou. They reconnect and discuss touring together again, but Ruben notices that this makes Lou anxious. Realizing the two are now different people, Ruben leaves and walks the streets of Belgium. His implants continue to bother him while he walks, so he removes them and enjoys the silence. Wow. What a summary there. <laughs> yes. High praise <laughs> to Keith for that beautiful read. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, so let's go ahead and just jump into our discussion. Um, as I kind of mentioned, this movie really did end up being pretty different from what I expected. Um, I really thought his drumming career and their life as a band trying to make it would play a larger role in the plot. It really is a plot point for like eight minutes, and then they're into the hearing loss and the deaf community. Um, so what were you guys expecting from this one? Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that as well. Yeah. When, like I said earlier, 
because uh, I think I was the one who found this on Amazon Prime. I, I just assumed it was a movie about making metal music, and then it, it showed him a pic. It showed a picture of him drumming. So I was thinking, like, kind of like a, like a Whiplash kind of movie. The poster does have that. It's vibe, kind of a shitty poster. Sure. Yeah. If you think about it, right? Just in that sense of like, oh, it's yeah. a music movie. <laughs> well, I don't know if you guys watched the trailers either for this one, but uh, the trailer I saw, at least the bulk of the trailer, is is music focused. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was surprising. I didn't really look into the writing directing team until after the fact. And now knowing that it's Darius Martyr with some help from Derek C. in France, I'm not surprised that this movie is a bit more, I suppose, different than I was expecting based on posters and trailers and all that based on their previous work. But yeah, yeah, I guess I did think that the, I guess not necessarily the drumming, but just the music and the band stuff, like you said, would somehow play a bigger role, which I guess it makes sense that it doesn't. I mean, once he starts to lose his hearing, that obviously kind of has to take a back seat. But I did think, speaking of kind of the weird, some weird elements in the third act, um, I, I guess I thought it might be a bit more of like circular storytelling where, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter how stuff at the compound goes. Maybe it goes well, maybe it goes bad. Maybe he gets the implants, maybe he doesn't. But either way, I kind of expected the ending of the movie would somehow be him just kind of back behind the drums. And again, maybe he has the implants, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's figured out a way because there are deaf musicians, of course, maybe he's figured out a way uh, to make it work. So yeah, I, I thought that we would end up back in the band storyline, whether it be with Lou or not. Especially when he starts teaching the kids drumming at school. I thought for sure that was going to lead us into him trying to get back and get back behind the drum kit and then maybe trying to get back in his band with Lou. And when he starts taking the drums out of his mobile home thing. Yeah, I thought he was taking them out to use them. Yeah, I did too. That's kind of a weird scene too, because he does drum there, but then immediately he's like, all right, I'm selling all this stuff. And they don't really make it clear like what his plan is for a while too. That kind of ties into some of the weird parts with that Joe scene later where he... He made this deal to buy the RV back after eight weeks with interest, but he has no way of doing that. Not from Joe, though. No, I'm saying, but then that comes back into play later with Joe, where he's like, can you give me the money? So his plan was just to ask ask someone for the money. It, it was kind of weird. Anyway. Well, I don't think he was expecting a four-week recovery. I think he thought he was going to get the implants, and then him and Lou were going to like start drumming again, and he was going to make money to buy the RV back. Yeah, I was, I was pretty confused by it. But, um... Yeah, I mean, the movie was definitely different in surprising ways, which we'll talk about. But yeah, I, I think ultimately I'm fine with it not focusing on the band aspect, I, because once I saw the movie, I, I enjoyed it without that stuff. Um, and it seems that based on the ending, they decided to take the path of, which ties into the theme of the movie. It's not about him getting his old life back. It's not about him, you know, finding a way to keep playing drums at a high level or anything despite his hearing it's more about him i mean literally the final scene is him supposedly accepting that he is deaf and just turning them off and enjoying the silence which is something that he was supposed to be doing the entire movie based on joe's recommendation and he just kind of couldn't and didn't really care enough about it to do it and was struggling so the final scene is him doing just that so it's one of those things where we, we have no idea where his life will go but I guess, you know, at, at the very least, it seems like he will accept the fact that he is deaf regardless of whether he uses the implants or not. So, you know, that's the route they took. And it's definitely a good one. Yeah, I think, you know, once I kind of realized where the story was heading, I, st I still did really enjoy the story. It just started out different than how I expected it to. Mm -hmm. The beginning when he starts losing his hearing, I did, you know, when he, I did like the part when he starts like actually having full blown anxiety about it. Like whenever he uh, they're in the middle of the concert. 
and he just straight up just leaves and goes outside and just has like that full blown panic attack. I thought that was pretty pretty cool how they did that. Uh kind of I think that was realistic in a way. Yeah, and I think that does kind of take us into the sound design too cuz let's let's jump into that as well cuz the sound design for this movie is incredible. Yeah, let me go into that. So yeah, the audio really yeah, the audio effects really played a big part in this movie. Uh whenever he starts going deaf, you know, it projects it from his point of view as being muffled noise and then as well as the static and distortion of of noise going into his implants once once they're activated after his surgery. So yeah, it was really impressive how the sound and audio production of the crew were able to do that. It really made the movie seem more real to me and kind of gave you a better first-person point of view uh, of Ruben. Yeah, I was really surprised with how many minutes of this film they were willing to dedicate to just being silent. And it's kind of a risk because that you do run the risk of you know your audience getting bored if they're not hearing anything. But I think it makes overall just the deafness and, and the story way more impactful that they were willing to do that. Yeah, it was just really interesting and something that I haven't really heard done or used in a movie. I mean, even the little things with just like whenever he first starts going deaf and, you know, he wakes up after like that first day of that happening and he's trying to clear his ears uh, or pop his ears, I guess you would say. And uh, it's not working, but then they added in some effects. If you can hear his jaw clicking and that's the only thing you can really hear because from his perspective, he would still be able to feel that and kind of know what that would sound like. So it was just really great sound design, and I think my favorite use of it was there is a really beautiful scene at the end where he's this whole at this party for Lou's father. He and and Lou sing the song that you know her mother used to sing to her, and uh, everybody's like gathered around listening. And it's this really beautiful song and great performance. And then it it like the camera goes to Ruben and it starts to kind of zoom in on him, and then that's when it transitions from this you know how we would interpret and hear it to how he hears it. And it's just really muffled and it kind of fuzzy because of the implants. And we kind of it's where I think he realizes that, you know, it's nice to that I can hear to a degree, I suppose, but it's just never going to be the same. So I have to accept that. So they, they use sound design to kind of help us as the audience track where Ruben's head was at, too, in terms of the story and his character arc, which was really pretty cool. I really like how they use the sound design, too, uh, for like conversations and stuff like if it makes sense that Ruben is, is able to understand what someone is saying to him, then for us, it, it sounds normal. But like if he if someone's talking to him and like not signing or not using like a speech to text uh, machine, then it sounds really muffled and hard to hear. So I think I thought that was really effective to always keep us in, in Ruben's head throughout this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know if this movie would have been as good if they wouldn't have done that. It would have been really hard to buy in if they hadn't have done the sound design this way. Yeah. But yeah, there's lots of uncomfortable parts in this movie, though, man. I remember just like cringing at some parts where, especially the, the like the scene you talked about, Matthew, with his, with his uh, jaw cracking and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was kind of cringy watching that and uncomfortable. And to your point, Keith, every time they tried to show him drumming on stage after the hearing loss, I like always was getting nervous for Ruben because I was expecting the show to go poorly and then like them to get booed off the stage or something. So I was always like kind of on edge throughout that stuff. So that was another just credit to the sound design and the way they use it in this movie. So something I found interesting is how they show in some, I suppose, obvious ways and then certainly some ways a bit more subtle that this relationship kind of at the forefront of less so the movie, but definitely Ruben's mind is just so unhealthy. I mean, they clearly love each other, but are completely 100% dependent on one another just to to live. I mean, at one point, whenever um, she leaves and Ruben has to go to the compound for the first time, they basically say that they would 
kill themselves without each other. And after thinking about it more, I thought it really tied super well into the theme of the movie, which is you need to fix your outlook on life and not your disability. And they really needed this time apart to fix themselves as individuals. And we see that Lou, to a degree, does that. Certainly by the end, she seems to be in much better spirits and just a better place in her life. And only when Ruben brings up the past, like we talked about, that's when she starts to revert a little bit. And I think that's a big part of why he ends up leaving. I was just curious, like kind of what you guys thought about the these two actors in this relationship and also the characters. What, I mean, what did you think about this relationship as a whole and how it fit into the movie? They make it seem like it's a positive relationship at the beginning because, you, you know, they're dancing and then. And- Ruben's doing his best to stay healthy and make sure Lou's eating healthy as well. And so it starts out like, oh, this is actually a really good relationship for both of them. But then at the end of the movie, like you said, Matt, you realize, oh, no, this was not a good relationship. It's in a good place now that they're willing to be apart, but they were so dependent on each other. So I really like how they kind of flip that and make you realize that you do have to focus on yourself in order to be an impactful person to other people. Yeah, Paul Rishi's character, Joe, he kind of called that out when he first gets to the compound. And then I like the whole um, kind of meditation slash writing thing he makes him do because Ruben wasn't used to sitting still. He was always doing something. So whenever he was fixing the roof, he thought he was doing something good. But Joe calls him out on it saying like, oh, you can't even sit still. Like, I need you to go right until you can sit still again. Right. And to your point, too, Matt, about the subtlety, like I, I really like how they show it at the end again. Like Lou is a victim of self-harm. She has all these scratch marks on her arm at the beginning of the movie. And then when they reconnect at the end... Ruben realizes that Lou isn't as anxious as she used to be, like she's not scratching herself anymore. And then the second they start talking about touring together and, and, you know, recontinuing their relationship, you see Lou just very, like, very softly reach over and start to scratch her arm. And then that's how, and then you see it, you see the camera pan to Ruben's face and he realizes that he's causing her to be anxious. And the best thing for Lou is for him to leave. And so I like how he just, he's able to realize that and then he actually acts on it. He doesn't try to stick around and fix their relationship further. Yeah, exactly. Like whenever he like sells all of his equipment away in the RV, he's trying to get one of his friends at the compound to help. And he he lies to her saying that this is all for her when the truth is that he is using this money to get implants. And it's just another way you can look at the relationship as unhealthy just because he views he views her as this thing he needs to get back to, this goal that it's his, It's like just the representation of his past life. He can't even tell the person the truth about why he needs this money, which I, I, I thought it was so interesting how they fit this into the movie and kind of going off what Keith talked about where how Joe fits into this relationship aspect as well. I really, really love that at the beginning, I was a bit unclear. I mean, I certainly don't have experience with this, so I was trying to follow like, Okay, so yeah, that makes sense why, you know, he like ha- like how basically life on the compound is like the rules. Like I understood all of him. I was like, okay, that makes total sense. I, w- I would understand that. But the one role that I was just curious about was why can't um, Ruben have communication with the outside world? I was wondering to myself, like, why would that make things worse? Wouldn't it make things better? And um, basically, Joe told him that he couldn't do that. But then Ruben throughout the movie does anyway. He's constantly sneaking off to Joe's study And there's one part where he's like seemingly communicating with Lou via email. And then for the rest of the movie, he's basically just kind of like through the like one of the websites that they have. How does a band he's like following kind of her career and how things have been changing since he's been gone. And whenever I was watching that, I started to kind of catch on like, okay, so this is why he shouldn't be having communication with the outside world, because I think you could argue that. If he had not been keeping any tabs on Lou, he wouldn't have so hastily sold all of his belongings to get the implants. 
just so he could presumably leave the compound at some point and go back to be with her and have things so quickly go back to normal. It's kind of like how you talked about Austin, where whenever he brings up the past to Lou at the end, she starts to, you know, scratch her arm. And I think you could argue here, it's like once he kind of starts to see where Lou's going, it makes him think of the past. And I think all of a sudden just a switch goes off and he immediately sells everything and tries to get those implants as fast as possible just so things can go back to normal right away. And so, yeah, like I said, at the beginning, I didn't understand why he couldn't have communication, but I loved by the end. I was like, okay, totally makes sense. And also him breaking that one rule inadvertently led to him kind of hurting everybody else at the compound, not in like a major way, but you see throughout the movie that he's having a really positive impact on this space. He's he's drawing tattoos for people. He's making people laugh while they're eating dinner. Um, and then with the kids, he's he's teaching them drumming skills. He's, he's a really positive influence on their lives. And then when he immediately breaks that rule and has outside con- has contact with the outside world. He just, he just leaves and he leaves all these people behind that he was positively impacting. And then he also, like you said, Matt, he is lying to that girl. He's lying to Joe. So this one rule really does kind of trickle down and affect everybody in the movie. And it's also sad because, you know, Joe offered him like a basically, for lack of a better term, he offered a permanent place there for him, whether it be, I guess, just to live there or to earn money basically by like helping with the program or being a teacher at the school. Like, I mean, he was he was pretty sad. He could have had a great life there. And it's just, I think, like like we talked about it, if he hadn't been keeping tabs on Lou and trying to get back to the way things used to be, which they never can be, you know, like the doctor says, you're deaf, man. Like you, you can hear things, but your ears don't work. So this implant is just tricking your brain into hearing things. It's not going to sound like it used to. It can't. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's kind of this little tragedy, frankly. I mean, by the end, it seems like he's setting himself on the right path, but Along the way, especially towards the end of the second act and beginning of the third, he made some decisions that unfortunately we can't judge him for because he's in just this life-altering situation. But it does make you sad because I think he could have had this amazing life there. I also kind of like that uh, it doesn't work out perfectly for him in the end. I feel like with these type of movies especially, that there's a lot of tropes that this movie could kind of follow, like story beats, like... He probably, in a different type of movie, he probably would break his sobriety, and that would be a plot point. Uh, Lou, while they're, while they're apart, would probably end up betraying him, and, and that would be another story beat. Um, he probably would fall in love with the sign language teacher, and then he'd have to choose between Lou and the girl, and then, you know, there would be a way for something to magically work out, like, all together in the end. And I was expecting all these plot points to kind of come up in the movie, and we never got any of that, which I was really happy about. They just told an original story, and there are there are actions and consequences in, in this movie, but it's not any of like the typical stuff that we would see in this type of movie. Yeah, yeah. The outcome I thought was gonna, the most likely outcome I thought was gonna happen was that he was gonna go to get his implants activated, but then decide against it at the last second, and then just go back to the compound. Ooh, yeah, that's another trope we could have gotten, Keith. Death, well, Keith, yeah, it, that's what I was. That's thinking. what they set it up for. Because like obviously I, I'm not, I'm assuming they didn't make this up, but I I just did I didn't know how it worked obviously. So when he gets to the implants and then there's the scene where he wakes up and the doctor's like, you need to come back and f- it's going to be total silence now. And after four weeks, you come back and we'll activate them. And I was like, okay, I guess this is how it works in real life. I I don't know, but I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, now it's not just going to be some muffled sounds. Now it's total silence. So now he's going to be forced for these four weeks to live in complete silence and get used to it. And then he just either won't go back to get it activated or he'll he'll go back and say he doesn't want it activated. And like, you're right. Like, it felt like they were 
setting it up for that only to pull a last Jedi um, <laughs> subversion on us. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I liked I liked all those. I liked that it didn't feel like, you know, where it was going. I didn't know. And to Keith's point, yeah. kind of how he kind of had a scene that he thought was really going to happen. I was convinced because in the beginning they showed us two times of that of the poster of him behind the drums under that lighting. And I was convinced the last shot would be like some other singer that he's met along the way would be singing um, or just he's maybe he's in he's in another band. Maybe there's deaf musicians in the band as well. I don't know. But the point I thought the last Ooh, shot like was a school of rock. Oh, wow. get a school Jack of rock Black. sequel. Yeah. Um, and then I thought the last shot was going to be him behind the drums again. But now maybe he has the implants. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's found a way to kind of use the vibrations and they cue in each other. And I thought the last shot was going to be like two. One, two, and then he goes up, and before he hits, credits. Just like a fucking yeah. any movie ever would end. So and, and <laughs> you see, like, you see like three other kids, like one kid's on the guitar, the sign language teacher's on the microphone, we got another kid on the bass <laughs> well, guitar. I didn't, I didn't say the school was going to be the band. <laughs> that would have been funny, though. School of Rock. That would have been pretty funny. Jack Black's in the background conducting everything. Oh, God, that would be perfect. That'd be perfect. Yeah, where do you guys think Ruben will go from the end? Do you think he'll go back to the death compound and take away his implant uh, mechanism altogether? Or do you think he'll go back to music and learn to play halfway deaf and use his implants only when he needs to have one-on-one conversations? I think the fact that they kind of focus on um, like some kids like kind of playing in the streets of Belgium before he takes his implants out, that kind of led me to believe that he might be headed back to that school and he may have a passion for working with deaf kids now. Yeah, music teacher seems to be the most obvious choice for me. Um, I think obviously in a perfect world, you hope that there could be like a future scene where he goes back to the compound and talks with Joe about how life went after leaving the compound and how he thought this is what he wanted. The implants couldn't give it to him. And then he's finally accepted the silence. And, you know, you hope that maybe Joe, even though Ruben lied and Joe talks about how trust is the most important thing and he has to leave immediately like I guess you, I guess you hope that maybe they can find common ground and maybe either he lives there or works there or something. But yeah, I, I think it seems like that's less likely. I think probably some version of a career as a music teacher while still being being able to be a mu- musician in some sense is probably what we're looking at for Ruben. I also really like that they took the time to show um, that these kids and Ruben can still experience music just in a different way than, than people with their hearing can. Like they really focus in on them feeling the vibrations of the piano or feeling the, the uh, vibrations on the slide while he's drumming. So I, I, I'm glad they took the time to show that as well. I thought that was really cool. That was cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. It, it, it was just, it was really sweet. That slide scene was especially good. I felt like it was the first time where he was able to experience music again since um, losing his hearing. And just the way they shot it, where he's on the bottom of the slide and the kid is just completely draped over the top just so he, he can feel the entire vibration into his whole body was really, really quite cool. And the way they shot it, and again, with the great sound effects and the sound design was pitch perfect. So it was great. So I feel like in recent years, we've seen more and more low to mid-budget movies going straight to streaming instead of theaters. I feel like even though this is a really solid movie, it does kind of... St- I don't know what the budget of the movie is, but it's this this seems like one of those movies where the trailer comes out, people really like it, but then when it actually comes out in theaters, it ends up bombing or just not doing very well. So I'm curious, do you guys like that streaming is kind of giving 
these smaller scale, lower budget movies a home where they can be successful? Or would you rather see stuff like this in a theater in the future? I think it depends on the streaming service that's backing the movie. Um, I think kind of what I've learned over the years is if it's a Netflix original movie, it's probably going to be trash. Like they haven't really put out a good movie. But usually if if HBO or or Amazon gets behind a film or even Hulu lately, um, a lot of their movies seem to do better. So I'm not sure I'm not sure what the decision making process is for these streaming services. But I do like the fact that we can get smaller movies on streaming services and and it does give them a chance to kind of breathe on the service and not be held to the same expectations of the box office that they would be um, if they were going the traditional route. For me personally, yeah, I'm glad these streaming services are around nowadays and, and expose me to these kind of movies because I don't know if I would see this kind of movie in theaters or really know about it because if, if you think about the movies you go see in theaters, at least for me, it's always like, oh, are you going to go see the new Avengers this weekend? Are you going to go see the new Star Wars this weekend and the new James Bond? That's the kind of movies I see in, in the theaters, like more action uh, more comedies. I don't really go to the theater to watch dramas all that much. Yeah, I think if the, if this had come out in theaters, like like worldwide, um, what would have happened is is it would have come out. It would have had a terrible opening weekend, and then the critical Oscar voters would have gone and seen it. It would have gotten some action buzz. It would have gotten a little bit of a boost in the weeks following that buzz, but then ultimately would have been viewed as as a box office failure. Yeah, I agree. I think I love seeing movies in theaters, like we've talked about, but I think I'm kind of with Keith. I think. Just straight dramas are ones that I'm the least likely to see in a theater just because, yeah, I think I think like with horrors and comedies, it's just it's fun to be have that audience interaction and experience and it heightens your own. And then with big, huge budget action adventure movies, it's always cool to see stories to that scale on a huge screen. But yeah, with this one, I don't think it's 100 percent necessary. I think I think there's nothing wrong with seeing it in a theater. But I think like we've talked about, I mean, the coolest part about it is a movie like this can be really successful and a lot of eyes can be drawn to it with Amazon Prime in, in this case and with streaming in general. So I, I like that I got to watch this at home. It was it, it felt like I had a better experience because I got to watch it on my own time. Like I said, this was this one's a bit more of a slow burn. So I like taking a couple breaks and coming back to it and yeah, so I think it's cool. I think I my hope for streaming, unlike something like HBO Max, like I, I hope that all those huge movies g- going straight there isn't the norm, obviously, in the future. But with this, I like that movies have a home here. I feel like it gives us more movies and more writers and directors with less of a name can have great careers as well when people will actually watch their stuff instead of them having like <laughs> to slowly build over years trying to make it with these bigger movies. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think there's certainly an argument to be made that that there are certain movies that belong in theaters. They're designed for that experience. And then there's a lot of movies that don't need to have the theater experience and you and they can go to streaming and be enjoyed just as well. Yeah, exactly. I think we're all kind of on the same page that this movie ended up being a little bit different than what we expected. Um, is there like a, a storyline you wish this film had taken? Or like was there a plot point you were hoping to see that you didn't get to see in this one? Maybe, yeah, maybe just more him going back to drumming but in a different in a different way learning how to drum uh, uh while being deaf yeah there's nothing that i wish like there's no storylines or routes i wish it had gone instead i guess the only thing like i mentioned a little bit earlier is i wish there was a little bit more time so it felt a bit more believable to me when it just kind of does a time jump and cuts and then ruben just seems extremely well adjusted and like he knows sign language now to a pretty extensive degree. At least he can communicate. And I just feel like we lost a lot. Um, 
Again, I do understand the artistic choice of they show him on that slide scene experiencing the vibrations and music, and I understand why they cut. I think there was just a little bit I would have liked to see in between. And then other than that, like I talked about as well, I think just some of the dramatic beats didn't really work for me. And there are moments of Ruben's character arc and, this, and the decisions that he makes that just they, – they don't seem like – I don't know. I guess they just didn't work for me. It's not that I don't believe he would sell everything in order to get these implants. I believe he would do that. But I guess there's just some moments where I found his character a bit unlikable. And I think you could probably even make the argument that that's the point. Um, but yeah, there's just some moments in this two hour movie where I was like kind of just not enjoying it because I wasn't enjoying what the characters are doing. But again, I guess that's the point. It's just something you as the audience have to be aware of that that's something that you might see in this movie like – there's moments where you're just going to be kind of sad because you're having to watch these characters that you like do things that make you sad. It's like, ah, it sucks. But again, I think that's the point. So it's definitely worth watching. I think I might be the lowest out of the three of us, but I would definitely still recommend it. Check it out. See what you think. And honestly, even if you don't like it that much, I think you'll at least get something out of the fact that it's probably not what you expect. And I feel like a lot of movies and TV shows these days are the exact opposite. You know, you watch one trailer and then the, the, the whole thing is absolutely everything you expect. So, you know, I would say give it a shot. Yeah, I think for me, just just uh, as someone who is a big fan of the punk rock heavy metal genre, I was really excited going into this movie that thinking we were going to have a movie about heavy metal and, and, and trying to make it in that type of band. So just personally, I was disappointed that I didn't get that story. It's not a fault of the movie, but um, just as someone who is a fan of that genre, I was a little let down at the beginning. But as the movie rolls on, it's it's certainly a great story and, and it is a really enjoyable watch. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get into our podcast awards today. This is a segment where we give an award for anything in this episode. Keith, I'm thinking you actually may know the rules this year. Go ahead and start us off today. All right. I'm bringing back an award that I gave out uh, to a character on our Devil All the Time uh, review. It is the Best Omelette Maker Award, and it's going to Richard Berger, Lou's dad in Belgium. Wow. He made some eggs, so I'm bringing back that award. That did look pretty good. I wanted those eggs. They did They did look really good. And that, I, I kind of want that guy's kitchen, too. He's got a pretty sweet yeah. kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Well, Keith, I'm, I'm glad you gave out a food award, because I'm also giving out a food-themed award today. I'm going to give the Krispy Kreme Award to that donut that Ruben smashes over and over. He made a big, made a big jungled mess, and something about that donut made me want some Krispy Kreme. That seems so weird. He smashed it and then, like, put it back together just to smash it again. <laughs> I was like, what are you yeah. <laughs> And then later, later, it wasn't a donut. Later, it was a bagel. I was like, nice, nice. I'm a bagel guy. I'm a bagel okay, guy so it was sure. a bagel. I thought it was a donut again. I was like, is this guy eating a donut every single day? Yeah, I think, I I think some days, <laughs> I think some days are donut days. Monday, Wednesday, Friday's donut day. Tuesday, Thursday's bagel day. Um, uh, okay. Did you guys also, were you a little bit like, I guess whenever Joe first introduced that whole thing of him sitting in there and, and like accepting the sounds and writing, I thought that was going to be like like a he's something he did a few times, not every single day. <laughs> like I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> I thought he was going to write a song. There's another one. Yeah, I, that would have made sense, too. I didn't even think about that. Um, my award today. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Uh, there's a little bit of common ground here. I didn't think Keith would give Richard Berger an award, but I have to as well. But. It's not for the character. It's more for the actor. Mayhew Almerick, I believe is how you pronounce it. He'll be getting the Perfect Tease Award. And do you guys know why? It's because this actor plays the villain in Quantum of Solace that we will be talking about Ooh. on oh, the Arnie's shit. podcast 
next week. This is the perfect tease, and so he deserves this award. I thought I knew him from somewhere, and wow, we'll be talking about him again next week. What a treat. Perfect timing. What a tease. What a tease. Alrighty. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that is the best way to help us continue to grow the show. At The Arnie's is our social, and TheArnie's.media is the website. As Matt said, we will be back on Tuesday for our next Bond film, Quantum of Solace. Before that, we have one more episode because this Sunday, it is finally time. We will be dropping our first bonus episode where we'll be discussing the premiere of WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. So that's our next series in review. As each new episode comes out, you can expect a review episode from us. So we've done The Mandalorian Season 2 and The Boy Season 2 so far. So we're happy to be doing this. It's going to be fun. Well, and that, as you know, for our bonus series, we've kept that talking the talking name. Are we going to be continuing that in the 2021? We are. For The Boys, we were simply The Boys Talking the Boys. For Mando, we were The Mandos Talking the Lorian. For season three, we're going to be the Mandos talking the Mandalorian. I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out. That was pretty obvious. It was right in front of me the whole time. But this time, it's just the perfect little split. It's so easy. We're going to be the Wanda's talking the vision. Simple, exciting. It's going to be fun. Yeah, check us out on Instagram at the Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and future episodes. Also, give us your thoughts on Casino Royale. Did you enjoy watching it again like we did? Also, give us your theories on WandaVision and look forward to rewatching Quantum of Solace. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us today. We'll see you on Sunday and then again on Tuesday. See ya.